Please be seated. Good evening to you. Ezekiel chapter 40 this evening. Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, coming now to Ezekiel uh, chapter 40. And if you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, please just wave to one of these men that are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and they'll put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, then make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you tonight. And uh, I hope all of you got one of these uh, diagrams of the Millennial Temple. Uh, you, I anybody not have one and, and you want one, just a show of hands. Okay, do we still have some, maybe get a couple guys to come down the aisles and keep your hands up until they get to you. Uh, you'll be fairly lost without it tonight. In fact, you may be lost anyway uh, <laughs> tonight, but this, this will give you hope. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a backstop for me because no matter what I do with it, you can always look and say, okay, forget what he's saying. Uh, where is it on the diagram? And uh, you won't be the only one doing that. I'll be doing that as well this evening. So Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, chapters 40 through 48, they, um, this is a revelation that is provided by God through the prophet Ezekiel to the, remember, to the Jewish captives who were in uh, Tel Aviv there just outside of um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, city of Babylon. And uh, God has prophesied in the chapters immediately before this, as we've seen, that he would restore uh, the land of Israel to the Jewish people. It would be their land and uh, that they would come back in as a, a single nation uh, rather than as the two tribes that they departed the land from, first to the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And then, as we saw last time, this uh, great attack by Gog uh, and uh, the uh, head of Magog and all of the uh, Islamic allies to that invasion coming against Israel and how God would defend the nation of Israel against that attack. Uh, all of this would have been, of course, tremendous news. You put yourself, I don't know um, how massively and how publicly, uh, we don't need to dwell on it, you have failed in your life. Um, but the Jewish captives in, in Babylon are about as low as you could get. I mean, this was the low point of Jewish history, to lose the temple, to lose Jerusalem, to be taken captive, and to do it for no other, no good reason, just simply to engage in idolatry and to practice sin. And they, they played a part in that generation and that happening. And so the grace of God on full display in all of this, and you can imagine the anticipation, probably more anticipation than we have in this room as we go through these chapters, the, the excitement that they would have experienced at realizing that we have blown it in, in, a, in a way that is bigger than anybody can ever put into words. And yet look at what God is telling us in these chapters. And he gives them their history, not only to becoming a nation again, but then their history into uh, the, his miraculous deliverance of them in this invasion. And then he tells them now their history all the way through what is known as the millennial kingdom or the, the uh, thousand year uh, reign of Christ. I think it's helpful to uh, understand and be reminded of the sequence of events that are uh, surround what the Bible calls the last days. There'll be the rapture of the church, which is the next item on the uh, agenda, the end times 
prophetic agenda, and then there will uh, unfold after that a seven-year tribulation uh, period. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, Jesus will return at his second coming. He will then establish what is known as the kingdom age or the thousand-year reign of Christ here on the earth. It will be a time of tremendous prosperity and uh, blessing in, in for many reasons, but it will show us the potential of this earth when there is no uh, active sin, there, is no, there are no wars, there is no crime, uh, none of these kind of things going on. And then following that, the, uh, the, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's a final rebellion against God that is allowed and is uh, readily put down, and then everything gives way to uh, an eternal new heaven and, and a new earth. The temple that's described here in Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 40, as it begins here, is different from the temple that is described that, uh, the, that will be built uh, by the Jews during the tribulation period. It does seem most likely that uh, the, the window that will occur when uh, Magog, Russia, when these other Islamic nations uh, try, attempt this invasion of Israel, uh, they are uh, uh, basically, they're just wiped out. And so it, it sets not only Russia on its heels, but it, it sets the Islamic world on its heels, and it allows uh, the, then the Antichrist to bring, as we'll see in Daniel, this confederation of nations out of the old Roman Empire, Europe, and bring it into world prominence. There will be a, a vacuum there for a time that will allow that to happen. The Antichrist will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple, and, uh, and then at the three-and-a-half-year mark, halfway mark of the seven-year tribulation, when the temple is completed, he will walk into the Holy of Holies, and he will sit down in that place. He will declare himself to be God, and he will demand to be worshipped as God. At that moment, the Jews will realize that they have been fooled by the Antichrist, and they will begin to run for their life uh, from Jerusalem. They will they will flee. The temple will be completely defiled as a result of what the Antichrist does. Um, I'm of a mind to believe that, that when Jesus comes back at his uh, second coming, if that temple survives the, 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 the seals and the bulls and all of the, the judgments of, of the revelation, that when Jesus sets down on the Mount of Olives and there's that great earthquake that separates the Mount of Olives, uh, to the north and the south, that uh, somehow that temple is, is destroyed. Uh, it, is, it is not the temple everybody is waiting for. It is a, an awful deception of the Antichrist upon the Jewish people. This is an entirely different temple uh, that is being described here, and it's one that, the, that will be built, and we're not even told who will build it, interestingly enough, but it will be built and it will be used uh, during uh, the kingdom age. And so it gives us the details of the temple and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the divisions of the, the tribes that, uh, of Israel to be established on the earth during the millennium and, and all prior to the white throne judgment uh, of Christ. And then all of this fallen creation again giving way to a new heaven and a new earth. Um, it, it, it is it, chapters 40 to 42, which we'll look at tonight and try to get to 43. They deal primarily with the temple and the area, this temple that will be built and the area surrounding uh, the, the temple. 
God had promised uh, back in chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel uh, that he would rebuild his sanctuary among his people and here he supplies them now with the plans uh, for, for that sanctuary. There's a lot of detail in these chapters and it's almost mind-numbing uh, in, in looking at it unless you're a total uh, engineering geek or architect or something. But it, it is interesting to realize that what is being described here and all of the measurements is that uh, this is not something, it, it represents things spiritually, but it is not intended to be uh, spiritualized. Um, it is a, a literal temple that is going to be built. Architects, engineers who look at all of this and uh, lay everything out, uh, they look at it and they say in terms of the proportions of everything that's listed here, uh, this can be built. And if you build what God describes here, you will end up at the end of that building project with a temple. And, uh, and, and so uh, Ezekiel certainly would not have been uh, troubled at the detail that God goes into in these chapters. You remember he was from a priestly uh, family and he would have been hungry for uh, every detail being of the lineage of the priests concerning uh, a, a, a new uh, temple. And I always look at these chapters and uh, I, I just figure that if, if it was important enough for God to write all of this, then it's important enough for me to, to read it and, and to study it. Um, the, additionally, the Jewish people themselves, uh, it, it, again, as they heard this news, this, was, this prophecy was being given to them in Tel Aviv, they would have been uh, very, very excited uh, as, as well. And, and so it, it communicates that the worship of the Lord is going to be the focal point of the kingdom age and that's a great thing for the world to be focused on it is very very important um, before we uh, get into it in earnest to realize that um, for us as christians that the kingdom age uh, has to do supremely with the jewish people and not with christians and uh, so when when we read it this is not this is something that we want to know because it's in the bible but it has no strong bearing upon us as christians who sit in this room tonight for the simple reason that when the rapture of the church occurs that we will then receive a glorified body this corruption will put on incorruption this mortal will put on immortality we will have everlasting uh, life we have it now but there in the body that's been prepared for eternity <clears throat> And this whole scene of everything that's happening on the earth during that thousand-year reign, it really doesn't have a lot to do with us in the sense that Jesus rules and reigns over the earth during that thousand years. We rule and reign with him, uh, but we really have very little to do with this temple. This is something that is, has a, a, a focus for the, the, the Jewish people. And, uh, and uh, so that Jesus' second coming, we will return with Jesus uh, from, from heaven and uh, where we'll have been for that seven-year tribulation period. Again, we'll re rule and reign with him for a thousand years and we'll be his servants during, during that, uh, uh, that reign. And so, uh, we'll, uh, but those that are inhabiting the earth, the Jews that survived the great tribulation period, and that will constitute the 144,000 that have been sealed. It will constitute other Jews that flee Jerusalem and Israel at the time that the abomination that causes desolation occurs with the Antichrist. They will flee in all directions, but a good portion of them will flee uh, to uh, the, the, uh, 
um, into Jordan, the city of Petra in that area where God will supernaturally protect them from an army that the Antichrist sends to annihilate them. There will be many, many Gentiles who will survive the, the great, uh, great Tribulation period. They will not take the mark of the beast. They will not die, um, but they will survive it. And, and then the, uh, all of them still very much mortals. They're very much with a corruptible body. They will then be those that inhabit and populate the earth so forth during that thousand uh, years. And so all of this has a focus upon them and not upon us as Christians who will be you know, fully glorified as the Bible would describe it. In, in, uh, in, in that time. So he begins now in verse 40, in the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th uh, year after the city was captured, on the very same day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. And so this uh, vision takes place in 537 uh, BC, and uh, this vision, these visions occur some 13 years uh, after the last vision that Ezekiel received from the Lord. Uh, the interesting thing about uh, visions, the interesting thing about being a prophet is that uh, you cannot initiate the gift of prophecy. You have to wait until God wants to exercise that gift through you. Um, and, uh, and so he waits 13 years and, and there's no prophecies coming forth through him. And then one day, boom, talk about be instant in season and out of season. Uh, God now wanted to reveal this, uh, this great prophecy and revelation to uh, the, the Jewish people. And so he declares that in the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel. So he goes there from Tel Aviv into uh, the, the land of Israel in form of vision, set him on a very high mountain, and on it toward the south was something like the structure uh, of a city. And so uh, the, the city of Jerusalem is very, very different from, it will be at that time, very different from what we even know it to be today. Uh, by the time you have... The, the sealed uh, trumpets, the bold trumpets, and the trumpet uh, in judgments of the book of Revelation. Uh, you have mountains that are going to be disappearing uh, because of the cataclysmic uh, disastrous events that will occur during that age, and, and the world itself will be reshaped. Uh, during the last three and a half years of that tribulation period. And so uh, uh, Jerusalem will uh, probably look uh, very, very different from uh, what it looks like today. And so something like the structure of a city. And uh, the Lord took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. I hope he's, uh, he's clearly not wearing sunscreen, as, as he ought to. And uh, you will pay a price for that. Uh, someday. Uh, he has no need of any kind of sunscreen. He is evidently an angel uh, from, uh, from the Lord here that uh, is there to greet uh, Ezekiel and give him a tour of this temple that is going to be built. And he had a line of flax and a, a measuring rod on his hand, uh, in his hand, and he stood at the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, Look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you. And that's the chapters that we're looking at. So, uh, the, you know, he's, 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 he's telling Ezekiel, listen, uh, what I'm going to tell you now, you, your eyes can't glaze on this. You've got to get this, uh, this down. 
and pay attention, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you, uh, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. So absorb this and then declare it to the children of Israel. They will be uh, very excited to, uh, to, uh, to hear it. And now uh, he begins to give the, the measurements uh, related to the temple. Let me get my little thing out here uh, too. And uh, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple. And in the man's hand was a measuring rod, six cubits long, each being a cubit and a hand breadth. And he measured the width of the wall structure, one rod, and uh, the height, one rod. So I'm not going to do all of the uh, transition uh, of the, the measurements. A cubit in the ancient world was 18 inches. It was the average measurement of a person's arm from their uh, elbow to the tip of their finger. And, uh, and, and yet he says it, the, what's being measured here in terms of the, the cubit that they're talking about is that plus a, a hand width, another uh, four inches. So probably about uh, 21 inches is the description uh, here. And so you have this, um, the, the, the uh, rod here that, um, that it, it is uh, six cubits long and uh, each ha having a cubit and a hand breadth. And so here he is, he, as he speaks about um, this, uh, this temple and uh, the measurement of it. And uh, so you have uh, a, the measuring rod that's described here, about 10 and a half feet in length. And so the wall surrounding the temple area was uh, 10 and a half feet thick and 10 and a half feet uh, high. That's a pretty nice wall. And you'll, you'll notice too on your little diagram here, where it talks about the temple complex on the right-hand side in the writing, and you'll see off into the side, it, the, in, um, it, it gives you the passage. Uh, so you can follow right along and, and see, oh, that's what he's talking about there, and then try and find it on, on uh, the, the diagram. And uh, it, we should have had some of you bring magnifying glasses uh, in, in light of the font, but this was the best that we, we could do. And, and then he went uh, to the gateway which faced the east. And he went up its stairs and uh, measured the threshold of the gateway that was one rod wide and the other threshold was one rod wide. And each gate chamber was one rod long and one rod wide. And so uh, here is the eastern gate uh, that leads to the, the outer court of the temple. You see at the, the bottom uh, of that diagram, that's the gate that's being uh, accessed in order to come into the courtyard. And he's giving the measurements of it. He also measured the vestibule of the inside gate, one rod. And then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits. And the uh, gate post, two cubits. The vestibule of the gate was on the inside in the eastern gate gateway were three gate chambers on one side and three uh, on the other, and the three were all the same size. Also, the gate posts were of the same size on this side and that. And he measured the width of the entrance to the gateway. It was 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. And there was a space in front of the gate chambers, one cubit on this side and one cubit on that side. The gate chambers were six cubits on this side, six cubits on that side. And then he measured the gateway from the roof of one gate chamber to the roof of the other. The width was 25 uh, cubits as uh, door faces door. And he measured the gate post six, uh, 60 cubits high and the court all around the gate uh, way extended to the gate posts from the front of the entrance gate to the front of the vestibule 
uh, of the inner gate was 50 cubits, or about 75 feet, and there were beveled window frames in the gate chambers and in their intervening archways on the inside of the gateway all around, and likewise in the vestibules, uh, there, were, uh, there were windows all around on the inside, and on each uh, gate post was uh, palm trees. And so he uh, gives this description of the eastern gate that led uh, into the outer court there uh, of, of the temple as he's making way from the outside onto the, the temple kind of grounds uh, uh, formally. And so this was, one of, uh, this was one of three gates that faces towards the east. You notice on your diagram that there is the first gate as you would enter into the area. The first gate leads you into the outer court. The, uh, the, uh, the next gate will take you into the courtyard associated with uh, the temple, the holy, uh, uh, the temple itself, and then another gateway that leads you into the vestibule just before you enter into uh, the temple itself, the holy place, and then ultimately into the holy uh, of holies. And so, uh, because it, it, it faced the east, uh, he gives great emphasis to it. It's the most important uh, uh, gate of all, so he des describes all of, of the details. And then he moves to describing the outer court of the temple, that large area that you see marked OC, and uh, it's not Orange County, that's the, the outer court. And then uh, he brought me into the outer court, and there were chambers and a pavement made all around the court. Thirty chambers faced uh, the pavement, as you see them on the diagram, the pavement was by the side of the gateways corresponding to the length of the gateways. This was the lower pavement. And then he measured the width from the front of the lower gateway to the front of the inner court uh, exterior, 100 cubits toward uh, the east and the north. And so this large uh, open area around the temple and, uh, and, and a description of it on its, on its east and north and south sides. The area is about 175 feet, uh, and, uh, and lining the courtyard court, uh, were 30 rooms. They were, probably these rooms were uh, uh, spaced in even numbers, as you see them on the diagram on the, uh, on the, uh, the north and the east and the south walls. And uh, the use of these rooms is not stated particular, uh, specifically here in the passage, but uh, it, it is likely that they were storage rooms of some kind that were used in, in the worship of the Lord. When we uh, met with an architect and the architect who ultimately designed uh, the, the, this building and uh, the children's church building, uh, he was constantly informing us of the fact that you can never have enough storage. The problem with storage is it costs just as much per square foot as uh, everything else. And so he knew the tendency of churches to limit storage, but uh, there's not going to be any, uh, any of that kind of thing related to this temple. Nobody has to worry about a, a budget related uh, uh, to it. Then Ezekiel was shown... Uh, the north gate leading uh, into that same courtyard from the north and on the outer court was a, a gateway facing north and he measured its length and its width. Its gate chambers, three on this side and three on that side, its gate posts, its archways had the same measurements as the first gate, that is the gate, east gate. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 25 cubits, its windows and those of its archways and also its palm trees have the same measurements as the gateway facing east and it was ascended by 
seven steps and its archway was in front of it. The gate of the inner court was opposite the northern gateway, just as the eastern gateway, and he measured from gateway to gateway 100 cubits. And so as you would enter, make your way progressively from the outside uh, and make your way toward the temple, you would always be taking steps up. And, uh, and it was always a reminder that to come and to worship the Lord uh, always results in an elevated life and that He is elevated, that He is uh, high above uh, everything else, the normal, the common in life. And so even in how the structure was put together were these kind of subtle reminders of, of important spiritual uh, truths. And after that, he describes the south, uh, southern gate. He brought me to the south. There was a gateway facing south, and he measured its gate posts and archways according uh, to the same measurements. And there were windows in it, and its archway all around like uh, those windows. And its length was 50 cubits, its width 25 cubits. Seven steps led up to it, and its archway was in front of them, and it had palm trees on the gate posts, and on this side, and, on, and one on that side, one on this side, one on that side. And there was also a gateway uh, on the inner court facing south, and the measure, uh, he measured from gateway to gateway toward the south, uh, 100 cubits, and so each one of these uh, uh, being uh, identical. And then uh, the, the, uh, the gateways of the uh, inner court uh, of the temple are now described. He brought me into the inner court uh, through the southern gateway, so Ezekiel is, is brought in with this, uh, this angelic uh, gentleman. And uh, he, he enters into the inner courtyard uh, there inside the walls through the southern gateway. He measured the southern gateway according to the same measurements. Its gate chambers uh, were, uh, in gate posts, its archways were according to the same uh, measurements. There were windows in it, its archway all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. There were archways all around, 25 cubits long and 5 cubits wide. Its archway faced the outer court pole. Palm trees were on the gateposts, and according, uh, going up uh, to it were eight steps. And they, he brought me into the inner court facing east. And uh, so he, he comes into to that, the courtyard facing the east. He measured the, the uh, gateway according to these same measurements and its uh, gate chambers, as he continues to describe it uh, 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 here, uh, gate posts, archways, according to the same measurements. There were windows in it and its archways all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. Its archway uh, faced the outer court and the palm trees were on its gateways, gate posts on its side and on that side and going up to it were eight steps. And then he brought me to the north gateway and then there were the same uh, same identical uh, measurements through verse 34. So you see as you would enter into that inner courtyard, here's the second set of gateways that would take you into that inner courtyard. One of the interesting things when I think about this is a lot of repetition in this passage, and, uh, and yet Jesus, he warned against in terms of praying, uh, vain repetition. So uh, we don't always understand why God uh, says what he says. We don't even understand why everything about this temple, uh, the specifics of it are so important to him. Uh, all it does communicate to us is that he is a God of detail. 
and uh, details are important to him. And uh, whatever we may look at and, and say, well, that, that, how important is that? The main thing is that we get the, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place uh, right, and then everything else can kind of be off. But that's not how the way the Lord works. In the same way, we can look at commandments in the Bible, and we can say, well, these are the big commandments you have to keep. But God really isn't so uptight about all of these other commandments. And yet, uh, he is. All of them are important. And the interesting thing is just like with this temple, he doesn't always uh, describe the importance of why he wants these things exactly the way that he wants them. Uh, it's enough that he has said it, that he be, t- be taken seriously. And in the same way, very often in what he forbids us to do or he commands us to do uh, in our Christian life, sometimes you can look at it and you can say, I don't know why that is so important to him. I don't know why that that would make a difference. And God doesn't need to explain everything about the whys behind his commandments. Uh, just like you, if you raise children and they want to know why about everything, sooner or later you got to the place where I told you so. And uh, that just needs to be enough. I, you're three years old. How am I going to explain to you uh, this situation? You have no capacity to, to understand it. Just do what I'm telling you to do here. And uh, because I want it to be that way, and uh, you can't handle knowing the reasons why right now. But obeying it will keep you safe. And uh, so uh, the details are I- important to him. And then he talks about the inner court uh, area of, uh, for the, uh, of, of the altar for the sacrifices, and uh, he describes that beginning in verse 38. And uh, he said, There was a chamber in its entrance by the gateposts of the gateway uh, where they washed the burnt offering. In the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side, two tables on that side, on which uh, to slay the burnt offerings. And uh, and sin offering and trespass offering. At the outer side of the vestibule is, uh, as one goes up, to the uh, entrance of the northern gateway. And that's why when you look at that northern gateway going into that inner courtyard, you see the little T, the tables there, uh, for the tables that sat uh, in, in number on each side of that entrance. This is what he's talking about there at the entrance of the northern gateway. And uh, there were two tables, and on the other side of the vestibule of the uh, gateway were two tables. Four tables were on this side, four tables on that side, by the side of the gateway, eight tables of which they slaughtered the sacrifices. And there were also four tables of hewn stone for burnt offerings, uh, offering one cubit and a half long, one cubit and a half wide, one cubit high, and on these they laid the instruments with which they slaughtered the burnt offering and the sacrifice. And inside were hooks, a handbreadth wide, fastened all around, and the flesh of the sacrifices uh, was on the table. Sometimes people uh, get alarmed here a little bit because we know as Christians that in terms of the Old Testament sacrifices that they produced and provided a covering for sin. They could never take away sin. They provide a ceremonial covering for sin. Only Jesus' shed blood, his sacrifice, could provide 
cleansing of sin for us. And so they were pictures of him who was going to uh, come. And the burnt offering is, burnt offerings will be offered during the millennial uh, reign. The burnt offering was, uh, except for the hide, the entire sacrifice was completely consumed on the altar. And it represented, uh, when, the, when the worshiper would offer a burnt offering, it represented their whole, the consecration of their whole life to God. God, I give you my entire life, all of it, nothing held back. And you see also the sin offering that's, uh, that's mentioned here, uh, as well as, uh, as uh, the tres- trespass offering. So these are going to go on during the millennial reign. And people ask naturally, if Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this, and he is the fulfillment of all of this, then why is this allowed to happen during the kingdom age? And, and I, I, uh, the, for sure, certainly it has to be uh, certainly not as a means of uh, gaining the forgiveness of sins. I mean, Christ has a- already done that. But it is a, a reminder uh, principally to the Jewish people, but to the Gentile world as well. When they come to the temple during the, the kingdom age to worship the Lord, it is a reminder to them of how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these uh, sacrifices and, and uh, everything having to do with not only the sacrifices but the temple uh, itself representing the sacrifice of Christ. And so we look back on those, those uh, sacrifices and uh, we realize that Christ fulfilled those. They provide wonderful insight into his, his sacrifice. But here you have uh, the Jews who do not, uh, the large, vast majority of whom do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, uh, their Messiah, until the second coming. And then now it appears that these sacrifices are going to be offered during this period in the same way that they were offered for thousands of years under the old covenant, but now offered with the light going on for them. And that was, this wasn't offerings that God gave to us in order that we might offer them and then receive the forgiveness of sins. These sacrifices all spoke of Christ. And so every time they go to the temple, it will be a education on the fact that Jesus is their Messiah and that all of their sacrifices, all of the law, all of the prophets spoke of Christ all along. And so it's going to be an education uh, to them in, in that regard. Verse 44, outside the inner gate were the chambers for the singers. And uh, so Ezekiel describes the the um, chambers that are there for the singers and the priests. Worship will be uh, a, a very prominent activity in, in the worship of God, as it always has been, in the worship of God in the kingdom age. I mean, any, this, it's just going to be great. Um, uh, and uh, so uh, the, the, the inner gate, there's going to be the chambers for the singers in the inner court, one facing south at the side of the northern gateway and the other facing north at the side of the southern gateway. And then he said to me, this chamber which faces south for, uh, is for the priests who have uh, the charge of the temple and the chamber which faces north is for the priests who have, uh, who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok from the sons of Levi who come near uh, uh, the Lord to minister to uh, him. And so uh, these, the, the gateways are uh, uh, sh- shown to them and, 
and, and again, probably having something to do with a little bit with, uh, with the um, rest areas, utility rooms, storage areas involved in uh, the, the, behind the worship that is going to go on, beautiful, beautiful worship of the Lord in, in the area of the temple for the thousand years, the priests with all of their responsibilities, and, and uh, certainly any temple is better for having uh, singers in, in, in its inner, inner court. And so uh, the dimensions that are uh, given here, verse 47, he measured the court 100 cubits long and uh, 100 cubits wide, four square, the altar was... Uh, in the front uh, of the temple. So the dimensions of the inner court is uh, about 175 feet uh, square. And then Ezekiel was uh, brought uh, into the, the temple area itself, and uh, the angel brought me into the vestibule of the temple and measured the doorposts of the vestibule, five cubits on this side, five cubits on that side, and the width of the gateway was three cubits uh, of uh, uh, on this side and three cubits on that side. The length of the vestibule was 20 cubits and the width 11 cubits and by the steps uh, and by the steps which led up to it were pillars by the doorposts, uh, one on this side and uh, another on uh, that side. And so he is given uh, this uh, insight uh, into the temple, brought into it to actually see it uh, for uh, for himself, and so the the details of it, and um, a lot of times uh, people probably smarter than me, they just encapsulate all this and say, "Go read it at home and um, and take uh, take care of it that way." But I, I, again, if if God puts it in His Word, He writes it. I, I think it's only respectful as well as educational uh, to read it. We certainly don't want any from one from Calvary Chapel in Modesto. Uh, showing up uh, as a Christian in your new body and uh, you come into Jerusalem during the kingdom age and you see the temple and you say, wow, what is that? And, and uh, you tell them you come from any other church but Calvary Modesto if you say that and say, no, no, I vividly remember what this is about. <laughs> Pastor took us through eight, nine chapters uh, of it, though not all nine chapters have to do uh, with that. And so he, he continues his vision of, of the temple, and then he brought me into the sanctuary and measured the doorpost six cubits wide on one side and six cubits wide on the other, the width of the tabernacle, the width of the entryway was ten cubits, and the side walls of the entrance were five cubits on this side and five cubits on the other side. And he measured its length, 40 cubits, and its width, 20 uh, cubits. And so the size of, of the sanctuary, talking about um, the holy place. Uh, the, the, the temple itself is, is a, a rectangular room that uh, e e even Solomon's temple and, and so forth, it was, uh, and it was a rectangular building made up of two rooms. And there was a, what was called the holy place where the priests would enter in, and there would be the altar of incense and uh, the uh, altar of unleavened bread and a table of unleavened bread. All of this would be there. 
and the priest could go into that room, and then beyond that room was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go into that room just one day out of the year. And so Ezekiel is brought into the holy place, but he is not, even though he is a, 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 a lineage of, a, of the priest, a priestly lineage, he does, the, the angelic guide does not take him into the Holy of Holies. You notice in verse 3, also he went inside, and here he measures the Holy of Holies, and he's kind of giving all these measurements to Ezekiel so that Ezekiel can uh, record them. And he went inside and he measured the doorpost two cubits and the entrance six cubits high and the width of the entrance seven cubits. And he measured the length 20 cubits and the width 20 cubits uh, beyond the sanctuary. And he said to me, this is the most holy place or the holy of holies. And then he measures the side chambers, as you see on your diagram. He measured the wall of the temple, uh, six cubits. The width of each side chamber all around the temple was four cubits on every side. The side chambers were uh, in three stories, one upon the other, 30 chambers on each story. Uh, they rested on ledges, which were uh, for the side chambers all around, that they might be supported but not fastened to the wall of the temple. Uh, the detail is remarkable. And uh, as one went up from story to story, the side chambers became wider all around because of the supporting ledges in the wall of the temple ascended like steps, and therefore the width of the structure increased as one went up from the lowest story to the highest by way of the middle. And I saw also an elevation all around the temple. It was the foundation of the side chambers, a full rod that is six uh, cubits high, and the thickness of the outer wall of the side chambers was five cubits, and so also the remaining terrace of uh, the place of the side chambers of the, uh, the temple. And between it and the wall chambers was a width of 20 cubits all around the temple on every side. The doors of the side chambers opened on the terrace, one door to the, uh, toward the north, the other toward the south, and the width of the terrace was five cubits all around. And so uh, the, uh, the side chambers, as you see them, uh, listed there uh, on, on your diagram. He then gives a description of, of the a building that will face the courtyard uh, and uh, uh, on uh, the west side uh, of, of the temple and the building that faced the separating courtyard at its western end uh, was 70 cubits wide and the wall uh, of the building was five cubits thick all around and its length 90 uh, cubits. And then he gives the overall dimensions of the temple and, and the associated structures here in verse 13. He measured the temple uh, 100 cubits long and the separating courtyard with the building and its walls was 100 cubits long and also the width of the eastern uh, uh, face of the temple including the separating courtyard was 100 cubits he measured the length of the building behind it facing the separating courtyard and its galleries on the one side and on the other side 100 cubits as well as the inner temple and uh, the porches of uh, 
the court and their uh, doorposts and the beveled window frames and the galleries all around uh, their three stories opposite the threshold were paneled with wood uh, from the ground. Everything on the inside was wood on the floor, wood on the walls, wood on the uh, ceiling. And uh, from the ground of the windows, uh, the windows were covered from the space above the door even to the inner room as well as outside and on every wall, all around, inside and outside, by measure. And, uh, and then he make, gives a description of the carvings that were a part of all of this. And it was made with cherubim and palm trees, a palm tree between uh, cherub and cherub. Each cherub had two faces. And you remember that the cherubs, uh, and it's an angelic being, and the cherubim are... Uh, they're always referred to as guarding the holiness of God in the Old Testament and uh, a zeal for the holiness of God. And so the presence of cherubim, uh, and, and it's represented in the carvings on the wall, but that was merely a physical rep representation of an angelic reality always associated with the holy things of God. Uh, they were present, and the palm tree was, uh, uh, spoke of, it was a, a, a tree that spoke of prosperity, and so for a Jewish person to see a palm tree carved into anywhere, it, it spoke of, especially at the temple, it spoke of uh, the prosperous life. Life, the good life, the blessed life that comes with um, honoring God's holiness and, and obeying his, his word. And so uh, the imagery is, is deliberate here. It, it's not just represented in this temple, but it also was re represented in temples in the Old Testament. And this is what it spoke about. Um, and uh, verse 20, from the floor uh, to the space above the door and on the wall of the sanctuary, cherubim and palm trees were carved. The doorposts of the temple were square, as was the front of the sanctuary. Their appearance was similar. The altar was of wood, three cubits high, so about four and a half feet high, a little bit uh, taller, with a cubit they're using, and its length, two cubits, its corners, its length, and its sides were of wood. And he said to me, this is the table uh, that is before the Lord. And the temple and the sanctuary had two doors. Uh, the doors had uh, two panels apiece, two folding panels, two uh, panels for one door, two panels for the other door. Again, uh, tremendous detail here. Cherubim and palm trees were carved on the doors of the temple, just as they were carved on the walls. A wooden canopy was on the front of the vestibule. Uh, outside, there were beveled window frames and palm trees on one side and on the other, on the sides of the vestibule, and also on the side chambers of the temple and on uh, the canopies. And so the description of of the word woodwork and the ornamentation. Well, I, I feel somewhat shy of getting uh, through chapter 43 uh, tonight. But we will stop there tonight because we want to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, I think that when I read through this, I always think about um, Paul when I think he wrote it to the church at uh, Corinth and he was talking uh, about uh, being seduced from the simplicity that is in Christ. <laughs> And uh, all of this and more can never, ever uh, encapsulate the reality of who he is. It serves God's purpose, no doubt about it, but how simple God has made a relationship with him to be 
uh, in the Lord Jesus himself. I'd like the worship team to come forward and, and uh, the men that are going to be serving communion tonight. And there's a couple of things that I'd like us to meditate upon in, in the light of being in the book of Ezekiel and soon departing it. Uh, and uh, so it, it'll, uh, you know, my intention is that we'll be eating Costco cakes uh, after the service next week. I'll have to figure out how to do that, um, but uh, that's the intention. But we leave this book, and um, I don't have the time or the inclination to do a review of what amazing things have been sown in our heart as we have studied the book, but it, it is important for us uh, it, it, at least is one meditation tonight with the Lord's Supper before we leave uh, the, the beauty and the, and the challenge and the historical lessons of, of the book of Ezekiel to just stop and make sure that we are not about to leave the book of Ezekiel um, in the condition of the children of Israel that brought that kind of judgment on, on themselves. And so to look at our own hearts tonight in the light of the sacrifice that was paid to be able to live a holy life uh, and to live a life that the Old Testament saints could only dream of and to look and to say, is there any idolatry in my life? Is there wickedness in my life? Is there deliberate wickedness um, in my life? And to use this as an opportunity uh, to turn from that. If, if I have the capacity and... Uh, or not the capacity, if I, if I find myself in a place where I have uh, begun the book of Ezekiel and a study of it and come to the end of it, and there has been no cleaning of uh, house cleaning in my life in terms of sin, if there's house cleaning that is necessary, 